Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. A fantastic show coming up for you tonight. We're going to be talking about ancient supernatural secrets. So we're going to be getting into a lot of things with ancient Egypt and other locations around the world. I do want a lot of, uh, for those that are watching live through the Connected Universe portal, do want a lot of questions from you guys because there's no way to kind of all-inclusively do all of this this evening. I mean, there are like complete, uh, you know, full documentary series, you know, that are that span many, many episodes over several seasons that get into this subject. So we're just going to kind of, you know, uh, touch on a handful uh, but, you know, very pertinent to some of the things I'm going to be doing in Egypt coming up here in a few weeks. So uh, in some ways, it's kind of a, a primer <laughs> for myself. But I know you guys are interested in this material as well. And, of course, this episode is brought to you by the Connected Universe Portal. Uh, please go ahead and check that out, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. That is our new online learning platform. I want to thank all those listening later on to the uh, audio version of this out there on platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and of course, our syndicated show on Saturday nights, midnight, KGRA Radio. I want to thank all of you listeners out there as well. We do this live on Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. through the Connected Universe portal as a video live stream show with a full uh, presentation. So, uh, this is really, it's its like a class that we do here. So we're going to be diving into a lot of different things here. So we're going to be starting this off with uh, the Great Pyramid. So we'll start off the slideshow here. There are the, uh, the pyramids on the Giza Plateau. Uh, the, the one that's actually the Great Pyramid in this photo is actually the one that's all the way in the back. Uh, it, I know it looks like the one in the middle there is the uh, the tallest one, but actually it's not. And people tend to recognize that one a little bit more because it has still has some of those limestone blocks on there. It has that kind of cap on top of it. Um, and so people often mis, uh, misconstrue that one for being the Great Pyramid, but uh, but it is not. It's the, it's the one in the back there. Uh, what's really uh, interesting to me when it comes to these pyramids, something that um, that I've been looking at here lately, because a lot of my research uh, with the with the shadow dimension, and you might be asking, okay, okay, the the shadow dimension is a docu series on shadow people phenomena. So, what in the world does that have to do with the Great Pyramids? Well, let's take a look at this again. So, these are the pyramids as they are today. If we take a look at the Great Pyramid as it once was, and uh, this is how many people believe it once looked. Now, we know it was definitely more white in nature because it had those limestone blocks uh, that, that encased it. So basically what we're seeing today are the, are the guts of, of the Great Pyramid. Basically what happened was um, many years ago there was a, uh, it was around the 1300s, there was an earthquake that that cracked a lot of those blocks, uh, shook a number of those blocks off of the Great Pyramid. And basically, the pyramid ended up being looted for those blocks to, to be used in construction around Cairo. 
so if you go around the city today, you can actually see those limestone blocks around the Great Pyramid uh, and, and, and the other ones uh, just by going through the city. Uh, but another aspect of this uh, pyramid, I'm talking the Great Pyramid specifically, there's a lot of granite uh, used in the construction. Now, this depicts a, uh, a gold cap on it at the very top. Uh, that's speculation. There are a lot of people that believe that it was capped in gold. We do not know for sure whether it was or not. There, there is no top to the Great Pyramid these days. Uh, they have a, um, a little structure up there to kind of signify what, it, you know, this is what the tip would have been. What's what's amazing about the Great Pyramid? It's the only uh, it's the only ancient wonder of the world that's still in existence, and it was actually uh, for thousands of years the tallest building in the world until the Eiffel Tower was built. That's how long it, it remained the tallest building in the world. Uh, you think of all those years, all the buildings that were built beforehand, and it took until the Eiffel Tower in the 1800s. Uh, so there's a lot of fascinating things about this. But with the construction of this pyramid, um, and I can see that I already forgot one of the photos, which would have been basically the the guts of the uh, of the pyramid and kind of the uh, the way it's it's laid out in uh, on the interior. And Nicole, I'll never take the pyramids for granted again. Very cute, very cute. <laughs> um, again, you have the limestone, you have the granite. Uh, there are a lot of people that believe that the the pyramids were uh, were power plants, and so you have the different passages uh, within the Great Pyramid. You have the subterranean chamber. Now, mainstream tries to say that, you know, this was an original uh, uh, tomb for the king, and then, you know, they, they moved them upwards. Now, there's never been any bodies found in the tombs, uh, or what they what they believe are, are tombs. Uh, but there are a lot of people that believe, you know, this was once a power plant uh, using, uh, using hydraulics and different chemical reactions. Um, and, and again, you know, it's, it's a theory, it's, it's speculation. We do not know for sure, but given all of that, that we're seeing here and, you know, if, if those things were done, uh, to the great pyramid and, you know, those different liquids were used in that fashion down those passages, yes, it would have created a power plant. Given all that and the properties of that, well, now we're, we're going to visit the Conjuring House. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I just connected the Conjuring House with the Great Pyramid? Yep, I sure did. Uh, those that have watched the Shadow Dimension, and yeah, we're going we're gonna to go right to the Shadow Dimension and reference that. Uh, you'll remember in Episode 3 when we visited the, the well room in the bottom of the house. You remember how that was constructed, those who have watched the series. The way that was constructed was there is a well with water in there right now, an open well. 
that's there in the basement. And what surrounds the room are limestone walls. Capping those limestone walls are large blocks of granite. So here we have basically a little mini power plant right at the bottom of that house. Basically a power plant very similar to what the Great Pyramid would have been with the limestone, with the granite, you know, with the with the water that had been under and, and actually there is a water table uh, that is underneath uh, the Giza Plateau. If you just right outside the pyramids, there's the tomb of Osiris that goes straight down, and uh, there is a ton of water under there. There's a, a sarcophagus there. Basically, the the way that the design of the tomb of they call it the tomb of Osiris. The way it was designed was for the sarcophagus, sarcophagus to be like an island, kind of surrounded by by water. And so, okay, it's the same basic structure that we're seeing at the conjuring house. The only thing that's different is if the Great Pyramid was capped with gold, we don't have that at uh, we don't have that at the conjuring house. But what we do have there at the conjuring house is all kinds of amazing supernatural activity that's going on, uh, you know, straight from that, that well room, where again, you've got the water, you've got the limestone, you've got the granite directly above is the parlor room where, you know, the, the seance had gone bad, not a demonic possession, but a seance that had gone bad, uh, very different than what the movie portrayed where Carolyn got thrown back into that room. Uh, it's also where they observed the time slip of the family from the 1700s that looked at the Perrin family as if they were the ghosts. A lot of things happened in that parlor. And then directly above that was uh, Andrea's room. And that's the room where the black smoke uh, was observed. That's where, you know, Keith John, and that was observed by uh, Carl Johnson, was observed by Andrea. Um, it's where Keith Johnson had his moment there with the exterior window. A lot of things happened to Andrea and the girls and, and all kinds of people up there. Uh, myself just standing there, uh, that is where, uh, you know, I got extremely lightheaded and I uh, had to, you know, hand Keith the camera while we were filming and I had to sit down for a moment. That's also where we got the photo of the interdimensional phasing, uh, which is uh, a fantastic capture that I've included within the shadow dimension. Those uh, that have watched that, you you are very familiar with the photo, and for some reason I forgot to include it here in the presentation. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a real fascinating photo, and um, and I had somebody on an interview that I was just doing here recently. It was actually on KGRA, uh, and a team of paranormal investigators have have their own show there on uh, on Monday nights, and. You know, they were all looking at the photo. The one guy was like really breaking down uh, the the whole the whole photo. And you know, what's what's interesting is that until you get to that uh, that wall, that middle wall with the doorway and the interior window, everything is perfectly clear in the photo. So it's not like the camera was moving or anything like that. It's like once you get there, that's where everything starts to shift. And I believe we captured what we call interdimensional phasing in the window, the exterior window that's behind all of this, it's behind the, uh, the, the middle wall was actually juxtapositioned out against the 
uh, I guess it's a chalkboard wall, uh, is what you would call it because there's a large chalk chalkboard on that wall uh, that you normally wouldn't be seen, but there it is in the photos. It's it's pretty wild. Uh, so, you know, you're having this idea of the construction of these things powering, in the case of the Conjuring House, powering the house to uh, to create this, this different supernatural phenomenon that's there. Uh, Andrea uh, likes to call the house a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. And I believe she's very correct. I think there's a lot of different uh, activity going on there, powered by that room uh, that's being created, portal activity being one of them for sure. A lot of UFO sightings over there as well, which is kind of interesting. So are they drawn to, uh, to that power source? It's quite possible. Um, Sarah Yusuf, do you think there's a significant uh, significance between location and shape of each element? Well, um, certainly the the shape of the element. Um, you know, there's you know when you construct things in a pyramidal fashion, I mean, basically you're drawing the energy from your you know your wide base. And, you know, it's coming to, it's coming to that point. So you're drawing it and then uh, it's all manifesting uh, there. Now you're going to have uh, the energy throughout, but that's kind of like the, the pinnacle of it right there is at, at the very top. Um, a lot of people believe like the, the obelisks uh, around, uh, around Egypt were almost like, um, you know, kind of like, you know, needles stuck into the ground to harness this energy. And we're almost acting like antennas. So, you know, the tip from those, each of those antennas, you know, were uh, sending energy back and forth. Again, you know, speculation in theory, but, um, you know, if you test that out in a lab, can we, you know, put a, I mean, you, you have to remember the uh, the composition of, these stones where, you know, you're looking at granite. Well, the most significant element within that is quartz. And so with quartz, you know, you, you generate your, uh, your piezoelectric uh, uh, activity. And, you know, that's like what we have in our quartz watches. So very interesting. Um, so um, another question, considering that balance is dependent on vibration of small bones in their inner ear, do you think that interdimensional shifting can eventually be measured? Um, well, okay, so I'm not sure where vibration of the inner ear comes with measuring unless, you know, you're going to, well, I mean, do you get dizzy feeling the vibration? You know, something's off, I, I suppose, is where you're going with that. Um as far as measuring it, I mean, we would be able to detect, um, you know, the electromagnetic fields in that particular situation. Uh, there are times where, you know, like at the Stone Lion Inn, Guthrie, Oklahoma, where, you know, all of a sudden my EMF meter spikes out into the red. I feel this wave of energy and almost pass out. So it's certainly measurable. Um, another... Um, I kind of threw, it's been a very busy day, so I kind of threw the presentation together at the last moment. Another uh, slide that I forgot to include in here is the astro astronomical alignment of the 
pyramids with the constellation of Orion. Um, and that kind of plays into the uh, you know their thoughts of the afterlife that when we that when we pass on that there are parts of our soul that go on to the constellation of Orion. That's where we are. Uh, supposed to originally have come from and where we return to upon death. Now, there are different parts of the soul that stay here on Earth, two of the seven. The one would be the Kabit, the shadow, uh, and the other being the Ka, the animating force uh, of of the shadow, or not of the shadow, of the soul. Uh, and so those two stay here on Earth, and the other five go on to the constellation of Orion. Uh, and if I had the correct uh, slide up here, you would see the, the three stars, but I think you guys, you guys get it. Um, there's another thing that uh, we're going to be doing here with the uh, with the pyramids on this trip to Egypt. Now, it's going to be an interesting trip. Uh, I'm going to be there with with Johnny Enoch, Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, Jay Widener, several others, and. Jay's going to be filming his uh, filming some documentary footage there. I'm going to be filming some documentary footage there. Two different projects. We'll probably do some, you know, uh, cross filming. Uh, of course, uh, Johnny has a bunch of different things that he wants to experiment and test out there. We have, you know, Mohammed, who's a uh, you know, he does tours out there all the time. He runs he runs the company. He's uh, very learned in, in hieroglyphs, so you know we have a lot of great people that are gonna they're gonna be with us, and we're gonna be all running different various tests. So uh, something I'm going to be trying to measure there, uh, something that I'm interested in. Since we're talking vibration, inner ear, all that, um, you know, is the the resonance of the Great Pyramid. Now we're going to all kinds of locations. We're gonna be there for you know two weeks, traveling all over. Um, you know, but I have specific interest in, in the Great Pyramid and uh, learning more about it, trying to figure out. You know, it's a great mystery, right? You know, trying to figure out what those mysteries are. We've had Freddie Silva on uh, Edge of the Rabbit Hole before talking about uh, you know, these beings. When he and his group uh, were, were inside the King's Chamber, uh, inside the Great Pyramid, they you know, had an opportunity to be alone in there. Lights were off. Um, you know, they're doing some, some chanting. And what they called it actually was tuning the pyramid. And as they're doing this, these different light beings were coming out of the walls and, and basically were visiting with them, which is really interesting. Um, so, you know, I'd love to be able to experience something like that, and maybe we will. So something I'm going to do while there uh, that I'm interested in, um, just doing my research like I usually do. So... The uh, what's interesting about the Great Pyramid is that if you were to try to determine what musical key the Great Pyramid is tuned to, it's the key of F sharp. These were experiments that were done years ago. Uh, Tom Danley, key of F sharp. Well, what's significant about that is the Earth is also tuned to the key of F sharp. So um, I was mentioning this last night at the very end of Edge of the Rabbit Hole after uh, our guests had gone. We're kind of updating people on uh, what's going on, what's coming up for the next uh, several weeks here on the different shows. And I had mentioned that. And uh, Adam Tillery threw out, uh, you know, 
we'll get some tuning forks. And it's like, you know, you pulled it right out of my head because that's exactly what we're doing. Try to find just a single F-sharp tuning fork somewhere. Um, that one's actually a little bit more difficult to find. I had to buy an entire set. It's actually not here yet. Um, so I'll be bringing an F-sharp tuning fork. It's... Um, 369.99 hertz uh, is what that measures at. And what I find significant about that 369.99, well, it's all divisible by three. And something Nikola Tesla always told us was, look for the threes. He had, he had a great affinity for the number three. Uh, and that's, what, that's something he told us to always look for. 369.99. Okay, cool. F sharp. And that's the Great Pyramid. And that's the Earth itself. So something that we're also going to be doing there. Also, um, it's going to work out for me anyway, because I have my I have my guitars. So I got a uh, chromatic tuner here. And so uh, we're going to be using that to measure while we're there inside the Great Pyramid as well. So um, new toy to to play with, not just in the Great Pyramid, but uh, but outside of it as well. And so we'll be running some experiments along those lines as well. Of course, I have other things, you know, like my dowsing rods, pendulum, and, and those type of things. And we'll see how all that stuff works within there. Um, it would be uh, it would be really really interesting uh, to see what we get. And okay, so what does that have to do with with the supernatural? I mean, would we be able to you know get those those beings to to appear like we did with, you know, like, like Freddie, uh, had it happen to him. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you know, if he just got lucky, if he was able to, you know, whatever they were doing actually called them out. Um, don't know, you know, what's, what's the catalyst for all this? That's a question when it comes to any of this type of activity is what's the catalyst. We don't really know. <laughs> we, we, we're trying to figure all that out. Uh, you know, if, so I'm going to be there for the shadow dimension. How does that play into shadow activity? Well, it's all connected. It's all related. That's why we're part of the connected universe. So we're going to see what we can discover is really what it comes down to. All right. So while we're there, you know, checking out the, the Great Pyramid, I know this has been a, a long section here on the Great Pyramid. Uh, we're also going to be checking out the... Uh, uh, the Great Sphinx. Now, this is a, uh, I like this artist's representation here of the Giza Plateau as it may have looked 5,000 years ago. So you have the Great Pyramid in the background. You see it, you know, you see it white. You see it capped with the gold. Uh, you see the Sphinx here in full headdress with the beard. Uh, there's some interesting things about that. And then as I'm going to scroll this thing down since it was um, more vertical, uh, you see some of the different uh, temples there that are now you know, fairly in ruins, but they're there. The ruins are there. Uh, we're going to go see those, of course. Uh, what's interesting to me about the Sphinx, uh, yeah, the mystery of the Sphinx, there's so many mysteries here that that we are uh, you know, trying to discover. And yeah, Nicole's very cool pick. And I see some others have joined us. Joe Chandler, Rick Gabbard, great to see you guys down there as well. Um, all right. So what's interesting about this, a lot of people don't realize that the Sphinx may have once been wearing a headdress uh, like it as depicted here 
in the photo. Now, we don't have any pieces of that headdress. Uh, the beard, there are a couple pieces of the beard. Um, and you can see um, on the Sphinx, within the stone, the places where you know, these things would have attached. The big thing for the Sphinx, if it had a headdress, uh, is this hole that was in the head. Uh, they filled this in in 1925. So if you actually take a, uh, an aerial photo of the Sphinx now, you can see the discoloration there from, from the hole that they filled in. And so they believe that this is where the headdress was mounted. But we're not done. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. Just want to show you real quick what it may have looked like. These are Sphinxes in, uh, or a Sphinx in St. Petersburg. This was actually taken from uh, Luxor, uh, I don't know, 150 years ago, close to that. Uh, so you can see how they have the uh, the headdress there. This is a depiction of Amenhotep and having the full, uh, basically these are two crowns in one, meaning he would have been the king of both Upper and Lower Egypt. Uh, so many believe that this is kind of what it looked like on, on the Great Sphinx. What's interesting, though, when it comes to that hole is as a mount for a headdress is not the only possible secret here. There's this, this uh, article here goes back to 1913, solving the riddle of the Sphinx. But you see all these interesting drawings here of secret chambers and temples within the Great Sphinx. Now, this goes back to the work of George Reisner, and he is, um, you know, an early, I guess, early Egyptologist uh, that was doing a, a ton of research out there. Uh, he made, uh, I couldn't even, you couldn't even count the number of discoveries that he made out there uh, in Egypt. But one of the things that uh, that he stated was that through the hole in the Sphinx's head, through the top of the the head you could reach these other chambers and uh, travel down through the Sphinx. And you see here in this depiction, it's not to scale, uh, you know, a, a very small chamber there at the top of the Sphinx head, uh, then a little bit of a larger one. You go down some stairs, and then uh, you hit a very long chamber throughout the body of the Sphinx, and then there are a couple of other smaller chambers off of that, including an internal pyramid. And so here's another depiction of that, uh, more of a profile view. And you can see, again, the couple of chambers, this longer uh, temple that's within there. And then you see the little pyramid uh, at the bottom, which is supposed to be a tomb, uh, according to Reisner. So, um, so Sarah asks, is there a triangle formed by the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx with another monument? So the interesting thing about the Giza Plateau is you, you can make all kinds of different triangular alignments. Um, there's like the, um, uh, the Tomb of the Eagles, which is uh, kind of off to the side of the whole complex, which is supposed to be connected through subterranean uh, uh, tunnels to the rest of the Giza complex, and that aligns very similarly to all of these things. So there's all kinds of interesting alignments throughout Giza. You could, 
you can just have a field day with it all. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, so are these, are these, uh, you know, are these secret chambers existent? You know, was, was Reisner making it up or are they really there? Well, of course we have Edgar Casey who comes along and says that, uh, you know, people will be surprised when they find underneath the, uh, the left paw of the Sphinx that, you know, there are going to be, uh, there's going to be a chamber and people, uh, we're thinking this is going to be some great library, a hall of records that's under there where we'll be able to find, uh, you know, the lost secrets to Atlantis and, and things like that. Um, you know, we don't know. You know, it's the Sphinx is old enough, and that's that's a you know high uh, highly controversial in and of itself. Uh, I think more people are starting to accept the fact that the Sphinx is much older than uh, previously stated. Where you know traditional uh, Egyptologists would try to tell you, you know, it's about four thousand you know years old. Where if we actually look at the geology of you know of the Sphinx and of the Sphinx enclosure. It's more like 10,000 years old, at least. Some would put it out to 20 or even older. Um, 10 would be a very you know, conservative uh, estimate of that. Uh, so, all that said, are there these temples within it? Well, in 1987, a uh, team from Tokyo uh, came along and discovered that, well, yes, there are uh, cavities within the Sphinx. Now, they didn't get inside of there. They're um, you know, using different scientific instruments uh, to detect those, and they did discover these other chambers throughout the Sphinx. Uh, several of them, in fact. Some different shafts were discovered, um, you know, chamber, uh, you know, chamber underneath the Sphinx, uh, front and behind, uh, and within it. Then, of course, um, you know, a few years after that, you have Robert Schock and John Anthony West out there, and you know they are doing the geological research, which you know became a you know, extremely hot topic. But they did uh, seismic studies out there, which basically, which basically confirmed the uh, the other chambers there. You know, one of which, of course, was under the left paw. Um, and they were going to explore that. They were making moves to explore underneath the Sphinx, and then they were stopped. Um, everything was stopped right there. Uh, they were not going to be allowed to explore those chambers within and under the Sphinx. But, of course, you know who did get access to that? Zahi Hawass. There he is. <laughs> Checking out chambers underneath the Sphinx. What is down there? We don't know. Um, we're, we're not being told. Um, except for whatever, whatever comes from uh, Zahi. So, and of course, Zahi Hawass uh, is doing anything and everything that's power to keep the dating of the Sphinx at 4,000 years old. So, um, kind of take it with a grain of salt. And I'm not disparaging Zahi. I mean, he's done a lot of... Um, has, has been his life's work out there and he has made a, a lot of discoveries 
there are as a controversial figure, because I know there are people that have come along and said, well, yeah, so he's saying that uh, he discovered, but it was discovered by these other guys, and then they were stopped from doing whatever, almost kind of like with Shock in, in, in West there, and they were stopped, and then Zahia Was comes along and says, oh, I'm going to go there now, and then he ends up getting the credit. So um, I'll leave that at that, because I don't want to ruffle uh, too many feathers here. <laughs> Sarah, I have to get a picture of trying to lift the left paw of the swings. Yeah, because you imagine trying to lift that up. <laughs> um, all right. So now what's interesting about that when it comes to all of this dating is uh, one of the things that they, tr that, I, that they tried to say for years was um, you know, that there's no archaeological evidence for the dating to be you know, older than the 4,000. You know, where are the artifacts? Um, one of the other things was, you know, there are no other, uh, there aren't any other cultures around the world that, you know, civilization isn't that old. You know, you don't see other structures around the globe that are 10,000 years old. And then all of a sudden, Gobekli Tepe comes along out in Turkey. Um, this is a, this does date 10,000 years old, at least at least 10,000 years old. And the reason why I say at least is that you have to, you have to keep in mind that um, when you're, you're dating something like this, and they're dating it from, when, when you carbon date, you can only carbon date organics. You can't carbon date rock. Um, so you're carbon dating organics that were left there. Well, the stuff that's left there are from the last people that were there. Uh, you know, this was a, you know, some kind of temple complex. So imagine a temple complex. If you're being reverent and you're worshiping there or doing your different ceremonies, your, you know, star alignments and things like that, you're probably going to keep it relatively picked up and clean and, and all of that. Um, but when you decide that you're going to abandon it like they did there, um, you're probably not so much concerned about that anymore. They ended up purposely burying the thing there at Gobekli Tepe. So all that said, the uh, the remnants that you're finding there that you can carbonate are going to be from the last people that were there. Now, Gobekli Tepe was a site that was heavily used, built in a myriad of different phases. They've only uncovered a small percentage of the entire site right now. So there's a lot more out there to discover. But what they have uncovered so far dates about 10,000 years at its basically youngest. Because um, again, if the newest people, you know, the basically last people to leave were 10,000 years ago. And we know that the site was probably in use for, you know, many, many years. Well, that puts the original people, the original builders of it back even further. And that's where people start. I mean, at, at that point, it's just a speculation game. Um, and until we find some other hard concrete evidence, it becomes a speculation game. Is it 12,000 years old, is it 15,000 years old, 20,000, 25? I mean, you have some people guessing like 40 and 50,000 years old. 
um, which sounds crazy. Uh, but there are some artifacts that we have come across, and I didn't include it here in the uh, in the slideshow, but the London Hammer, which is a uh, uh, artifact from um, around London, Texas, that was discovered where it looks like, I mean, well, not looks like, it is a hammer. Um, you have the, the metal onto uh the the wood shaft you know used for hammering and the crazy part about it is the the wood has gotten to the point where it started to turn to coal it takes hundreds of thousands of years for for that to happen but there it is happening in this artifact a tool made by humans so Civilization has been around a lot longer than than we believe. Um, all right. So that is Gobekli Tepe. Um, the pillars are, are here's some of the different pillars. They're absolutely fascinating. Um, what is interesting is that there are people that say that some of these have, uh, some of the photos that people have seen of some of these different creatures that, you know, they believe may be like extinct animals or things like that, or, or, um, some other controversial type figures that, um, apparently some of them have been reburied. That's, that's some controversy that's with that. Uh, the one on the left here with the different, uh, bags at the very top, what's interesting about that is you see those bags, um, in sculptures all over the world. Um, you know, like in South America and just, in just everywhere it's 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 kind of bizarre um oh i see what sarah's saying you have to get a picture try of me trying to lift the left paw of the sphinx okay i gotcha i gotcha okay i've read that incorrectly before um okay and then another question here some similar triangle structures are found all over the world do you think that leads to being significant yeah absolutely um Many of these, the different pyramidal structures uh, we see are, they're in alignment with each other. Um, you can draw, and we're, we're about to get into alignments here, and you can draw you know, lines to, to them right across the globe. Uh, sometimes they're on the same uh, latitude. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that believe these things are actually all connected. So let's get into different alignments and everything here uh, real quick. And actually, it's, uh, we, we got about 15 minutes left in the show. Wow, this went quick. Okay, so we'll start with, though, with the, with the different standing stones. Uh, and, and this is, again, kind of all related to what we're talking about with the pyramids, in which the standing stones uh, do have a certain frequency, a certain vibration that they give off. It's actually measurable. Uh, there are several you know, scientists and researchers that have been out to the different standing stone structures and have, uh, and have actually measured this. Uh, one of them that's really interesting, the Rollwright Stones. This is out in Avebury in the UK, um, where you can actually measure the energy, you know, from within that structure, uh, and then it's it's more significant there uh, as you you know, hit that entrance. So uh, you can measure from the entrance and around, and basically it is. Uh, really like a portal in and of itself. It's like they, they built some sort of uh, you know, electrical portal 
with these stones that is measurable. And you can go there and feel it uh, as well. It's it's, uh, really, really fascinating. I have not been there myself. Of course, I would love to go. So it makes you wonder how all that worked and how much more powerful it was thousands of years ago when those stones were you know, more perfectly aligned and put together because, of course, you know, the site has fallen into into ruins now. Uh, so how, if it's something that's significantly measurable today, how much more so would it have been back then when it was in use? So this brings us to the ley lines, different alignments that we were talking about before. Uh, common misconceptions conception is that um, the energy lines throughout the earth are are the ley lines. We kind of um, use those terms hand in hand. Uh, you know, people say, well, there's a ley line right there. Well, okay. Uh, it, it's not that there's a ley line there. It's that there's uh, the, the energy current is right there. We call it telluric currents. Uh, that's the I guess, technical term for it. People call it like the Earth's energy grid lines, that sort of thing. The lay, uh, basically this goes back to the book, The Old Straight Track. Um, I forget the author's name off the top of my head. But basically he had figured out that all of these different structures were all in alignment with each other when it came to like the standing stones and temples and cathedrals. They're all in alignment with each other. And this one here is the Michael and Mary uh, line throughout the uh, the UK, in which all of these different uh, temples, whether they were dedicated to the Archangel Michael or to St. Mary, that they all ended up in alignment with each other down this line. Um, but what it is is and you see you know some of the different uh standing stone structures are included in this line as well uh, what it is though is that years ago when they built these things they knew that the energy was there now a more modern cathedral or what have you not so much you know like something that would have been built like 1700s and probably didn't know it so much then but they built those structures on pre-existing structures. You see that a lot throughout history where they build on top of pre-existing structures. So you know, the, old, the old temples, the old you know, standing stones, or you know, significant, you know, what we call sites, ancient sites of power, uh, you know, that you know, they knew that the ancients were tapping into this power. They want that power too, but instead for, you know, their church. And so they would build the structures there. But the ancients knew, the ancients knew that the energy was there. That's why they originally built on those locations, which, again, run as currents through the earth. So as these structures were built to tap into that energy, they ended up all lining up. So the lay is just geographic markers lining up, like temples, cathedrals, standing stone areas. What's actually they're actually tapping into are the telluric currents. So 
they're all it, it's all related people just it's easier to say ley line than to lure a current uh but it's actually what it is you could also call it an earth energy current that might be a little easier to say uh but they're they're two different things the, the lay is just the way things line up but that's what we're talking about here with with these things anyways because that was the the question before you know about do these different triangle structures or you know pyramidal structures really uh you know do they all are they all connected well everything's all connected that's the whole idea of the connected universe everything's connected but um across the globe you can draw these lines to all of these different uh pyramidal structures um or you might do be able to uh line up a couple of the different pyramids and then say like you know some of the standing stone structures or you know easter island comes into the mix and some of these different alignments and things like that so uh, you see that all over the globe that yes these different things are connected and it's also really interesting to see some of the connections anyway between um you know different methods of architecture where you're seeing some of these things play out from one continent to another when supposedly according to mainstream they weren't supposed to have any of those connections at all but yet there they are uh, it's really really fascinating uh alfred watkins i I believe that was it, yeah. The Old Straight Track is the book. Um, he's the one that was... And, and you'll see, there's actually a couple of others. So he was the one that uh, wrote that in, I think it was the 1920s, and then there were uh, a couple of others, like around the 60s, that started exploring that uh, even more so, and it's become you know really popular here over the last mm, 20 years. Uh, I think that's all I have for the actual slideshow itself <laughs> um let me get a drink of water here for a second kind of wet my whistle yeah <laughs> um but yeah so th these are some of the different things that we're going to be exploring while uh we're in egypt is how those different things play out there of course i'm not going to be traveling all over the world to check out the different alignments uh this year we're going to be making those trips uh, over the upcoming years and explore some of these other locations that that uh, that line up. You start seeing uh, this, you know, supernatural activity play out. I mean, that's that's really what they were trying to tap into at a lot of these locations. Um, you know, they're they're trying to tap into that energy for a variety of different purposes. So a lot of people believe like, the pyramids were power plants. Um, when it comes to the standing stones. You know, people are, you know, believe that you know, they could be used for healing. Uh, you could be using them to enter altered states of consciousness, which they believe about, you know, the, some of the pyramids in, in other locations throughout Egypt as well. That, um, you know, and, that, and that's what a lot of these locations were, uh, you know, possibly used for, you know, or to be used as, as a portal to access other areas in the globe, other areas off-world. So we start, you know, start talk, talking stargates, start accessing other dimensions. Um, you know, you kind of really jump down the rabbit hole with some of these different ideas. And this is where you get into uh, you know, some of those ancient ideas of Atlantis. And it's uh, something I've thrown out there to a couple of our Edge of the Rabbit Hole guests before. I uh, threw it out there at... at uh, Johnny last year with uh, you know with Atlantis you know 
did they have uh, access access to Stargate and Portal technology? Is that is was that maybe their doom? Maybe they uh, got too confident in their use of this type of technology and be able to being able to use you know this energy on the Earth to be able to do these things? And did they you know, kind of blow themselves up with it? You know, it's kind of one of those things that you get a little too confident, a little too cocky with uh, this knowledge that you have, start to think you're invincible, and then nature kind of bites you in the butt. Um, is that, you know, possibly what may have happened there? Um, you know, when it comes to that, so just just real quick, since I mentioned Atlantis, there's going to be a little bit more that I'm doing with that here coming up um, and its connections to Egypt. So I'm in the camp right now. And again, I reserve the right to change my mind. I'm in the camp that um, ancient Egypt is, you know, one of the last vestiges of the survivors of Atlantis. Now, I believe that there are many vestiges of survivors of Atlantis, not just in ancient Egypt, but all over the world. And that Atlantis wasn't just one big city. I believe there was like, you know, like a capital city, uh, but that it was, um, it was a basically like a race of people, like a nation of people really that, you know, they had colonized uh, many locations uh, across the world. You know, is that why some of these places in the Americas have, you know, similar uh, motifs as, you know, what we see, you know, out there in, in Egypt or at Gobekli Tepe and some of the other locations that, you know, we're seeing, well, wait a minute, you know, we saw that, you know, we're seeing on this part of the world, why is that over on that part of the world? Um, so I believe they made, they made those connections all over the world. And then when that main part of the civilization was destroyed, you had these survivors, from whether it was the colonies of Atlantis or um, someplace where they had a significant amount of influence. Uh, to me, it's very compelling that, you know, when Plato wrote about that, it wasn't, it didn't just pop out of his head. Uh, he had learned uh, the story of Atlantis when he, when he had made a trip to Egypt and uh, he had studied uh, under uh, Solon. And so he had learned these things from Solon. Now, where did Solon get the story? Well, that's where we start wondering, okay, were those records in the great library of Alexandria? Were they in what people believe, uh, was the hall of records under the Sphinx? Maybe we don't know. Uh, it'd be wonderful to find out. Zahi Hawass may know since he was crawling around under, under the Sphinx. He might not be telling us. Um, and that's, and that's a difficult part about all this is I, you know, there are things out there, uh, that have not been made public that I think the public should be allowed to know. I mean, I would love to know some of those secrets. <laughs> I know a lot of you guys would too, uh, as well. Uh, so, all right, I guess that is going to wrap it up. Um, so one last question. A couple of questions here we'll take. Uh, so Tom McNicholas, wonder if there are portals that connect the pyramids. Well, a lot of people wonder that as well. Uh, you know, if if there are ways to be able to, you know, really access one pyramid from another through some portal technology that they may have 
had at that time. You know, we don't know. Of course, that's going to be pure speculation. Uh, but almost kind of like, you know, the idea of, you know, we talk stargaze, you know, we're, tra we're talking about traveling from uh, one planet to another across, you know, across the universe. You know, it would stand to reason that if we're, if we believe that, then we should at least be able to believe we could do it from one pyramid to another on the same planet. Uh, and then Sarah is, if a person is open enough, does the ability to draw energy negate distance? Uh, well, yeah, that's kind of the idea of, um, of, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it here. Um, what's the term? What is the term? Um, I can't think of it right now. Um, entanglement. Sheesh. So, yeah, that, that's what we get to when we uh, start talking about like quantum entanglement. Um, you know, if, basically not even the fact that the that it has to travel any distance just that it happens simultaneously and so there are people that believe that uh there are whether it's ets whether it was ancient civilizations both uh or interdimensional beings that have learned how to harness entanglement so that they can just basically instantly be from one place to another that there's there's no there's no time there's no travel there's no it just boom it happens uh which would be fascinating that would that would make uh you know traveling to a lot of these places uh, a lot easier i wouldn't have to hop on an airplane i'd just be like all right i'm in egypt <laughs> and just be there um you know that would be fantastic of course all right that is going to do it everybody again just to let you know, the next Beyond the Shadows will be in July, July 7th. Um, KGRA will be running uh, syndicated shows throughout the month. You want to uh, listen to uh, KGRA at midnight for Beyond the Shadows. So we'll be doing the same with Edge of the Rabbit Hole as well, although we do have one new episode uh, June 15th when I come back from the UFO Mega Conference in Laughlin. Um, I won't be doing it Beyond the Shadows, though. So uh, have to wait for new content from uh, Beyond the Shadows until then. But remember, when we come back from uh, that break, at, when we're broadcasting that first week of July, that that will be broadcast on the Connected Universe group page. It's not going to be here on the Beyond the Shadows live stream page. It'll be on the Connected Universe group page. Trying to keep everything in in one spot, so uh, I've, I've been trying to put information out of that on the Connected Universe portal site. Um, you know, I, I dropped a little video onto that Connected Universe group page, so uh, you know, so be sure to go there. I think there's only maybe two people that haven't gone over yet uh, uh, to the new group, so so that's good. So most people are already over there. We got a month for those last couple people to get their butts over there. All right. Everybody, you have a uh, great night. Stay safe and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Till next time.